And this morning we will sort of begin a new chapter in chapter 4. I say sort of uh, because I'm going to uh, uh, introduce it in, in kind of a two-part way this morning. But it begins chapter 4, and the Apostle Paul, uh, if you've been following or listening, kind of switches gears. The theme of this series in First Thessalonians is living for Christ, looking for His return. And much part of, really up until about the middle of chapter 4, is the Apostle Paul uh, just in various exhortations and encouragement about living for Christ, what that looks like. And then the latter part, chapter 4 and chapter 5, uh, he gets into some really key passages that speak to the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, and uh, so that'll be, that'll be fun to get into that. But today, we're beginning this new chapter, and verse 1, uh, don't put it on the screen just yet, but Paul introduces chapter 4, verse 1, by telling them about how they should walk in Christ, talking about their walk and how to please God. Uh, and so just to kind of bring it into a context... I'm going to actually begin reading in chapter 3, verses 9, and that'll take us through chapter 4, verse 8. That will be on the screen. Now, the reason I do that is because, you know, you realize it wasn't until about the year 1205 that a publisher began to incorporate in the republishing of uh, biblical manuscripts and books, began to put chapter divisions and verses, Paul didn't write verse 1, verse 2, chapter, you know, he didn't, you don't write a letter like that. I remember occasionally getting some people that thought they were being real spiritual, write me letters and write it like, like you know, all right. But anyway, just weird. Uh, so that, the reason that that's important is because the breaks in the thought are, are man breaks in order to keep kind of a flow, chapters and whatever. But sometimes in doing that, you lose a flow of context. So that's the reason I'm going to back up and read beginning in verse 9 of chapter 3 and read all the way through chapter 4, verse 8. All right? So uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to use those. We encourage you to use your Bibles. I um, sometimes think about not even putting them on the screen just to force you to use your own Bibles because I think that's how you're going to learn, you're going to grow. But for the ease of uh, many of you, we will have it on the screen. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 9, hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father 
at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Same thought. Finally, finally then, brethren, chapter 4, verse 1, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. They weren't just our opinions. They were instructions that were the authority of the Lord given through the apostle. Verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards, ignores, writes it off, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Father, we thank you that as we have heard these words, we've heard the voice of God in our midst. Lord, thank you for the scriptures, God, that brings light and light, light to our path, God, in places of darkness. Lord, may today we, Lord, ready our hearts and minds not to, Lord, to have our hearts and our minds wandering and aimless thoughts. But God, let us be self-controlled in our minds and say, if this is the Word of God, I want to hear the Word of God. I want the Word of God and the Spirit to be applied into my life and my heart today. So Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be that which is acceptable in your sight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to, this morning, the reason I said this is kind of in two parts is because in two weeks we're going to get into verses 1 through 8 in more of an expositional way. But I want to kind of just kind of hit a pause and, and make sure that there's some understanding on something that Paul mentions, a word that he uses in chapter 4, verse 3, where he says, for this is the will of God, your what? Sanctification. Sanctification. And the title that I worked really, really hard on, stayed up late, is called, the title of today's message is called Sanctification. I worked really hard to, to get that clever title for you this morning. Now, some of this, much of this, will be familiar territory if you've been in transformation with Jim. This is I may say it a word or two differently, but essentially, this is going to be familiar territory. But recognizing that many of you uh, haven't, and uh, this may be some new things, or maybe expands some things that you already know or, or understand, we want to try to elaborate on that. Because when we get into chapter 4, when Paul's giving specific instructions of how you are to walk, how you are to live, how you are to conduct yourself as Christians, he's not giving just moralistic checklists. He's saying that 
who you are in Christ should be exemplified in the way that you live your life. If there's a change in your status in heaven, there's a change in your heart, in your life. So sanctify, as many of you know, just means to set apart or to declare something that is holy. For example, you know, in the Old Testament, in the various vessels of the tabernacle, there were vessels and various uh, uh, furniture and things that were not used in somebody's den, and then they brought them out to the tabernacle. They were vessels, as Paul uh, would write about vessels of, uh, in 2 Corinthians, they were, they were vessels or furniture that were set apart for a sanctified work. Okay, to be used in the worship of Israel. Okay, so sanctify, sanctification is that setting apart. That's the work of God. We're going to expand on that a little bit, but just by way of kind of definition. And I'll I'll be up front with you this morning. This is going to be a little more teaching, uh, but may use a quote or two a little more than I use normally. So, uh, you know, I I really, again, pastorally, I, I just... This is kind of uh, some vegetables. This is some, you know, corn and peas and broccoli. These are some things. Because when you get into other aspects of Scripture, it's important to have some of these foundations. And so today, we just want to kind of elaborate a little bit more on this sanctification. Because that's a very key part of understanding uh, the Christian life, Scripture. Definition that I found helpful from the Westminster Shorter Catechism question 35, is sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. I thought that was a good definition. So once we are born again, once we are saved, the gospel, we come, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel doesn't stop working in the believer's life. The gospel is continuing to work in the believer's life, and that's the process of sanctification. Sanctification begins when we're born again. It begins at what we call regeneration. That's where that begins, okay? Unbelievers aren't, can't be sanctified. They need to be regenerated. They need to be converted. They need to be born again. But regeneration is the work of God in the believer's life that is moving us and conforming us into the image of Jesus. All right, you with me so far? All right, two of you. Thank you. I'm, 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 I'm pumped. I'm pumped. Two of you are on board. All right. Uh, for example, 1 John 3, 9. Talking about sanctification begins at regeneration. Uh, we, we went over this when we went through 1 John. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. He's talking about believers. And this person who's been born of God cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. You read that, you're like, wait a minute, I, I must not be born again because I sin. Well, that's not what he's talking about. You notice he says, keeps on He's talking about the habitual trajectory and pattern of your life isn't moving towards more sin. It's moving towards more godliness. But in that process, we are still fighting and dealing with remaining sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, 
And such were some of you. But you were washed. We'd say born again. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. So, so sanctification is that work of the gospel that follows regeneration in the believer's life. One definition that, again, is helpful, and then we'll move on to some, some application, is Wayne Grudem writes and defines sanctification is a progressive work of God. It's ongoing work of God. It's a work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. I thought that was helpful. Remember what Paul said, don't turn I mean don't mess with it on the screen. But back in chapter 3 verse 10, he says that we long to see you face to face and supply what is lacking. He wasn't saying that their faith was somehow that they were, you know, going backwards or they were, you know, not serving God, but he was recognizing that there was more uh, of God's word, there was more as they were going to build on their faith and move and grow in godliness. He said, we long for the time we can come to you and supply that which is going to push you more and more into Christ's likeness. Okay, so he's wanting. He's, that's what he's saying. It's what is lacking in your faith. And so this morning, I want us to just look at um, five kind of principles that hopefully are, are, are somewhat simple. And I, I had a resource in one of my files, and I have uh, liberally stolen from this person. So I'll just be up front so you don't think I plagiarize. But a guy named Coleman Ford, who I've never heard of, but I had this article, and he actually had more points, but I kind of just picked five that I liked in, in, in making an understanding of sanctification in kind of a simple overview way. And that's all we're trying to do. If you go to transformation, you're going to dig deep into the weeds on, on what that looks like, okay? That's not our purpose today, but it's really try to introduce this. So when we get into chapter 4 in two weeks, you'll understand when he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, you know, you may say, oh yeah, I, I, I know a little bit of what, that, what he's talking about there. So anyway, let's, number one, just five principles. Number one, is sanctification takes place in two parts. This is important. You know, there's justification. That's our salvation, to simplify it. Sanctification, that's our ongoing growth and godliness of the believer. And then ultimately, one day, there is glorification. We will be fully complete, new bodies, new heart, everything, you know, in Christ forever and eternity, all right? So, when we are justified, Romans, those of you who are on Wednesday, you should be very up on that. Justification, we are declared right, just before God. A couple weeks back on Reformation Sunday, we dug down into that a little bit, remind ourselves. When we are justified, we are declared by God that, not that we are innocent, but God has declared us righteous, that we have the righteousness of Christ, that that is a sovereign, initiating work of God alone. We do not act, cooperate in that. We don't add, you know, all we bring to the table? Our sin. 
That's all we bring. We're not cooperating with God on justification. Sanctification, though, is cooperative. We are grounded in God. We are grounded in our Christ. But it is a cooperative work with the Spirit. We'll talk about that in a minute. I'll give you a, a scripture that I always uh, go to that's very helpful. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, okay, notice what he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He didn't say work for, he says work out your own salvation. He's writing to believers, and he says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and then the next verse, remember Paul wasn't writing verses, the next thought, he says, for it is God who works in you. You see those twin truths there? You see that? That, again, is what we're talking about. And this is really important. And we, uh, when we read the passage uh, back in, uh, I think it was 1 Corinthians 6.11, where it says, you were washed, you were sanctified. Sanctification, in one respect, is a finished, definitive work that God has done. Positionally, sometimes you might hear that word. Positionally, before God... I cannot be any more righteous in Christ than I am right now. Do you understand what I mean by that? That in my position before God, when God sees me, Colossians 3.3, my life is hidden with Christ in God. He sees me all wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. I can't improve on that. Sorry to tell you, but coming to church today, you don't get any brownie points. You're just here, hopefully, because you want to be with believers and grow in God. You can't add to that. So we have eternally been sanctified already in Christ. The eyes of God, we are set apart. That's a definitive, completed work. When we are born again, there is a break, if you want to say it that way, that breaks us free from the slavery of sin that breaks us free from the slavery and the bondage of sin. Romans 6. I don't know where Steve is this week, but Romans 6 and, of course, going to 7, but Romans 6 speaks a lot about that. But now we are being led by the Spirit. So positionally, we are standing in the finished work of Christ, totally. But in the other aspect, we are told as Paul even told the Thessalonians, I want you to grow more and more. I want you to move forward. I want to supply some things that are lacking. He wasn't saying I want to supply more justification. I want to supply some things so you're, you get a little more saved. No. So sanctification is not only something that is definitive, but it's also, as we read in our definition, it's progressive. It's something that is growing, should be growing in the believer's life. And we cooperate, if we could say it that way. But see, how we cooperate is we have been given the Holy Spirit. We have been given the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image, 
are, I'm sorry, let me read it back, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. See, that's, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the work of the Holy Spirit, you remember, we won't turn to it, but in Galatians 5, the Paul talks about walking in the Spirit. He says, walk by the Spirit. Uh, one translation, keep in step with the Spirit. He would say in Galatians 5, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law that the fruit of the Spirit, you know, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the fruit of the Spirit. We're walking in the Spirit. So this isn't a work of just self-effort of changing our moral behavior just by willpower. Yes, there's will involved, but we have been given the Spirit to enable us as believers, what we are not naturally inclined or empowered to do. Does that make sense? Okay. The Holy Spirit's work in the believer's life, listen, is to stir us and to move us and to encourage us to stand in the strength of Christ and not in our own. That's how you can always judge and tell a works-based church versus a grace-based church. Works is a continual do more, add more. It's never good enough. Grace-based is I'm standing complete and free in the finished work of Christ. And what the change that I'm exhibiting in my life, the choices that I'm making, are joyful because Christ is empowering me to make and to do these things. As I'm moving closer to Him, if we could say it that way, He has given me the grace of the Spirit to say no and to conform and to be conformed more into His likeness. You see, that's why the Holy Spirit is so important. You remember back in John 16 when Jesus was saying, you know, but He was telling His disciples uh, that He's going away uh, that he's going uh, to be leaving and he's going away. And then look at verse 7. I think I put it on the screen. Yeah, John 16, verse 7. Notice this. Okay, notice this on the screen, verse 7. Notice what he says. Talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, talking to his disciples, it is to your advantage. The NIV says, it is for your good, what? That I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Why is that important? Look at verse 12. He says, I still have... Do I, I probably don't. Yeah, okay. Verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, Jesus says to his disciples, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth, this helper, the Holy Spirit, comes, what will he do? It says in verse, uh, verse 13, it says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will, he will do what? Guide you into then it says, and he will, towards the latter part of verse 13, and he will declare to you. He's communicating. The Spirit 
that will be sent, that will come. When Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit was sent, that he will guide you. He will teach you, declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me. For he will, think about this, he will take what is mine and declare it or give it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. Repeats it two times. You see, it's the Spirit and the Word. Jesus says, it is to your advantage. It's better. Because up until now, I've just been, to his disciples, I've just been with you. But it's to your advantage because... When the helper comes, I won't be just with you. I will be in you. So you can't do sanctification apart from the Spirit's work. And the Spirit works through the Word of God. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Look at what Paul would write later in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 on this thought. The Spirit works in tandem with the Word of God. Notice what Paul says, verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Brothers, beloved by the Lord. Look at this. Because God shows you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You see, Bible and the Word of God isn't just kind of some little fetish hobby that some believers have. It is intricately bound and linked as necessary for the work of the Holy Spirit's sanctification in your life. That's why I'm always dogging you. Bring your Bibles, read your Bibles, study your Bibles. It isn't just to pacify me. It's because I know that this word, 2 Timothy 3.16, has been inspired by God. You know what inspired literally means? God just breathed on this word. And the Holy Spirit uses this word to bring change in my life. So it's the Spirit and the word. Secondly, a lot more we could say on that. You'll be glad to know I didn't turn on my timer, so I'm staring at the clock in the back. Does that mean I should start now? All that's just free? No, I won't do that to you. <clears throat> Let me read you something. I'm, I'm sorry, go, go back to that before we go on the second one. I found this on, uh, through a writer I really have gotten to know, a guy named Dane Ortland. And uh, just uh, saw this late last night. I thought, oh, I, gotta, I had to write it in here. I didn't have time to type it. Listen to what he says in this, in this thought here, okay? As you seek to grow in Christ by becoming a deeper human, accept and embrace the truth that you will go deeper with Christ no further Then you go into the scriptures. To read scripture is to read Christ. 
To read it is to hear his voice. And to hear his voice of comfort and counsel is to hear an invitation to become the human being God has designed you to be. Secondly, sanctification happens because we're united to Christ. Alluded this a little earlier, Colossians 3.3. My life is now hidden with Christ, being united with Christ. We are in Christ by faith. He is in us by the power and presence of the Spirit. A lot of teaching on that. Give you a couple, just Galatians 2.20, familiar. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1.3 says, in the heavenly places is ours in Christ. There's a, you, the Bible teaches that this, this finished work of Christ, that we have been spiritually joined together, united in Christ. When he, that's the reason baptism, water baptism, by immersion is so vital in the New Testament as a picture of the finished work of Christ. Because as the person stands in the water, they stand there in one sense as the old man. But picturing our identity in Christ, that I have been crucified and died and have been now buried with him under the water, symbolizing my burial, and now I have been raised to new life in Christ. That's why water baptism by immersion is the only pattern of the New Testament. And if you have not been water baptized biblically, quit fooling around and, and let me know. We'll take care of that. All right? You say, well, I'm too old. No, you're not. Quit making excuses. Okay? We can handle it. All right? I've handled a lot of different people. All right? In baptism. All right? Some funny stories, but we, we can take care of it. But do you see that picture? Why is that so important? Because my life has been united in what Christ has done, not what Tim has done. Sanctification is different for everyone. There's not a one-size-fits-all. We're all moving more and more to Christ-likeness. Okay, That's the goal for everybody. But have you realized that in the church, certainly as a pastor and a leader for 40-some-odd years, certainly I've learned this the hard way, everybody grows differently. I've learned that, guess what, Tim? Not everybody gets all jazzed up about going through systematic theology like you do. But that doesn't mean they're not saved. I've questioned. No, I'm kidding you. I haven't. It doesn't mean they're not. It just, everybody's at different places. And that is the difference in pastoral ministry, what I do on Sunday. There are some of you that grow deep in the God's Word. You don't need me to, to be preaching to you this morning. I can't preach to you this morning. I mean, I can't, you know what I'm saying? I mean, but I'm like a general, a pastor is like a general practitioner. I can't be a specialist on Sunday morning. Because when I look at faces and backgrounds, everybody's different. You have some that hadn't even looked at one page of Scripture in a week or two. 
And you have others that, man, you just... Do we start judging each other by that? No, I don't think that's the way. But it's just to recognize that we're all human... We've all been affected by the fall. We all suffer from the same disease. Our symptoms are often different. We all have the great physician. But guess what? His remedies and medicine is different for each person. Aren't you glad we have a great physician that intimately understands and knows the deepest needs of my own life? That David said, search my heart, O God, and see if there's any offensive way in me, that even the the work of the Spirit, the great physician, that Holy Spirit scalpel that he has to apply into our spirit, that he knows what he's doing unique to me, and he knows how to motivate me, move me, grow. Now, we can be encouraged by one another, can't we? Right? I hope so, and that's the benefit of the body. So, these, the Spirit applies this work of Christ differently with all of us. Number four, and this kind of ties into this, Sanctification, let me say, let me say, go back, go back, sorry. I got all these little handwritten notes and I'm not looking at them right. This is why you really don't get in the comparison game. There's a lot of Christians that start comparing themselves. You get in a small group setting and you hear somebody and what God's doing in their life and you think, oh my gosh, I, I just... Barely could get out of bed this morning, get the kids to school, and I'm more worried about not having coffee in the kitchen than worrying about my sanctification, you know? I mean, they're just like, what is wrong with me, you know? And you just start comparing yourself, or you look at somebody or watch somebody and listen to somebody, you know, that you admire as a teacher, and you think, I might as well just cash it in. I can never be like that. Well, guess what? God's not called you and raised you up to be like that person. You're a unique creation in Christ, all your own. And so, uh, you remember Hebrews chapter, just listen, it won't be on the screen. Hebrews 12, familiar. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. This is something we're doing, right? Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and here he says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder or author and finisher or perfecter, the ESV says, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand, the throne of God. You know, he likens it, I think if Paul was alive, he might have ESPN. I can't prove that because he uses so many sports metaphors. He probably wouldn't because he doesn't want to get into all the nonsense they get into. But he loves sports. Talks about boxing, running, right? Fighting, all that. When you're running a race and he likens the Christian life to a race, whoa, that would have been funny if I lost my balance, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have heard anything beyond what he just said. Yeah, up until that, the pastor was really, and then he fell. If I'm running, listen to me. If I'm running, and I'm constantly looking over my shoulder, talking about spiritually speaking, and comparing myself and saying, hey, I'm running ahead of Don Baker. 
I got a little more going than Don. A little more spiritual. I'm a little more ahead. You know what that's called? Pride. But if all of a sudden I start looking at Austin in front of me and he's ahead of me, and then I get discouraged. And I get despairing. Because I'm like, I'm such a lousy person. I can't keep up. I'm, I'm... But what does he tell us to do? Let us run the race with endurance, looking unto... You see where our eyes need to be focused? See? Not looking behind, not looking at the person ahead. And see, again, this ties in with this fourth, is sanctification is a community project. It means that God has designed and given as a gift the church. Remember Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the body, corporate body. He likens the many members, one body, many members. The hand is in need of the foot and the ear is in need of the arm and you know i mean everything the head does it we're not just big heads i mean we're we're a body working many members but working as a unit you know there's a difference between a church having unity and a church operating as a unit you can be unified hey we all like each other you know we're all it's all good all good but we're like a bunch of cats herding cats there's no, we're not operating as a cohesive unit. That's why being together and, and, and being involved in one another and, and, and a church and saying, God, what, you, what have you called this church to do that's different than the church down the street? What, what are you, how have you equipped and gifted? One of the things we did several years back is, you know, we did the, kind of those evaluations and God, who have you brought us and what gifts have you brought us? Because if you brought people with certain gifts then that must be we need these gifts and there's something you're equipping us as a church to do and to accomplish so that we operate as a unified unit to the glory of God, right? But sanctification in God's design, this, this life of being made more like Him that we're called to do, He has given the church. But see, as I was talking with uh, Keith, uh, uh, who's been, he and his wife Cora have been joining with us for several weeks, we're talking earlier, that before service, there's this, this individualistic American mindset that it's me and Jesus, and that's all I need. That's why I'm not real, I don't want to offend anybody, I'm not real crazy about taking communion by yourself. Because the very nature of communion is commune. Commune. I can say, well, I'm communing with Jesus, all right. But it's designed, as in the New Testament, it's designed as a celebration of, to be celebrated in the community of believers together. You see, God has given and ordained the church. I'm not talking about an organization. I'm talking about the church. Who is the church? Who's the ecclesia? What is ecclesia? The called out ones, the people, the people of God. God has designed the church. Apart from the body of Christ, listen, my friends, sanctification in your life and my life will be an impossible task. If you think your internet pastor is going to help you be sanctified, i got news for you. It ain't going to happen. God has designed it. And I was thinking about, you know, there's 59 places in the New Testament where it says 
the one another phrases. 59 places of the one another. You cannot read the New Testament and fulfill the calling of a New Testament believer by yourself. We need each other. And guess what? God, if God has sovereignly placed people in his body, that even that person you don't like, guess what? They're there by the sovereign grace of God to work sanctification in your life. And you might be working a little sanctification in their life. See? Is that fun? No. But that's... And see, you know where we miss it? It's like, well, you know what? I'm offended and I'll just leave and go to this church. And you know what I find? After a while, you're going to be offended by that church. I never will forget church planning in Chicago. A woman came to the door, really nice, family, whatever. And within a nanosecond, she just kind of whispered in my ear why she left this church down the road. And in that nanosecond, the Holy Spirit, not weird, but it was just like, someday she'll be saying that about you. But we need each other. And we need each other to stick with it when the going gets rough. This church has been here 30 years. How many of you have been here 25 and above? Jim, a few of you. Has it been a straight line in 30 years? Has it been just calm, clear water, bay? Just, no. Was Corinth like that? No. Was Galatia like that? No. What about the seven churches in Revelation? Were they like that? No. Why do you think 2320 Sleepy Hill Road's going to be like that? By the way, that's the address of this church, in case you don't know. <laughs> Just in 1 Thessalonians alone, there's five of them. Chapter 3, verse 12, make your love increase and overflow for each other. Chapter 4, 9, love each other. Encourage each other. 4.18, 5.11, encourage each other again. 5.11, same thought, build each other up. Those one another's, you can't do those alone. Something interesting I was reading, and this is why it's important to be consistent in your local church, in attending, physically, bodily. Hebrews 10, should be on the screen, Hebrews 10. It starts out, you know, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Then verse 23, still a let us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without, favoring, without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And then he says, verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And then verse 25, he says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Do you see? He links our let us worship, let us come before our high priest. But do you see how he just goes and immediately says, but let us consider how to stir one another up. And hey, by the way, I've seen the attendance records of you guys and quit getting in this habit of blowing off church. Because why? Because you need to stroke the pastor's ego? No. 
Because you need to be together. If you can't be together, it ain't happening. Right now, behind the scenes, work is being done to launch small groups next year. Why? Because we found a place on the calendar on certain nights. We're not doing anything. And we sat around and said, you know what? We can't let them get away with that. We need to fill their life up with more stuff. What kind of church do they think we are? We need to, we need to pack that schedule. No. You know why? Because we know that's necessary for your sanctification by being close and knitted and involved in each other's lives. The last is sanctification is slow. Don't let that discourage you. In this world of instant rice, instant oatmeal, microwave, Christianity does not exist. You ever gone to a conference and you got so pumped, got so changed, and man, you hadn't been home two days, three days, and you just blew everything you learned? You know, it's, a, it's slow. It's, you know, and there's sometimes that slowness occurs because we are resisting the work of the Spirit in our life. We're in disobedience. You cannot be in disobedience and expect the sanctifying work of the Spirit to take place in your life. Because you know what Paul gets into? In chapter 4, first thing right out of the box, he says to these converted pagan Gentiles, flee sexual immorality. Oh, it gets quiet. Talk about stuff like that. You can't be living in an un- wedded relationship and expect God to sanctify you or that marriage or that relationship. You can't. Remember what he says? We'll look at it in a few weeks. He said, this, isn't, this is the will of God. This is the word of God. This is the will of God. He's not playing around and saying, you know, you need to get a better attitude. You need to do this. All oh, that's good, important. I mean, he gets right to the heart of what I think is the struggle in this church among these former converted pagans. You know why? Because it hasn't changed in 2021. We still need to have a church that says it doesn't matter what the culture is screaming. It doesn't matter the 79 personal pronouns. People can't say he or she. It doesn't matter with any of that. What matters is God's word. We may be the only voice. We may be the only light. And everything may. But we need to say this is what God says. And we are going to stand by. Because Paul says that if we are not abiding in his word. He would say in chapter 519. He says don't quench the Holy Spirit. When you and I willfully intentionally disobey the clear injunction and command of God. You know what we are doing? We are quenching. The work of the Spirit in our life. And we wonder, why? Why do I feel so far from God? Who moved? Who moved? You're the one moving away from the conformity of God. I'm going to close by giving you one last, and I'm actually ahead of time. I'm going to close in giving you one last, reading you one last thing. It'll be on the screen. It's a little longer than normal, but it's worth, it's worth 
It's worth reading because I think it's helpful as we conclude this. Ken Sandy has a, written a book, ministry called Peace, The Peacemaker. A uh, lot of helpful stuff. He says, the gospel gives us the gift of eternal life. But the gospel is more than a ticket to heaven. It isn't just for unbelievers. It's for every believer every day of life. But many Christians have a two doors gospel. We think of the gospel as a door we enter at conversion. We stand outside of God's family and then someone shares the good news with us. And the Holy Spirit opens our hearts to understand. We see our need and we trust in Christ. We come through the door into the kingdom of God. We believe and the penalty of sin, eternal punishment is taken away. The gospel is more than a ticket to heaven. But then too often we treat the gospel like an airplane ticket we save up to use on a distant day in the future. Having entered through one door, we put the gospel in our pocket until we come to another door. We don't pull out the gospel until we're in the hospital, facing only a few days to live. Then we peacefully tell our children, don't worry, I know I'm going to heaven because I trusted in Jesus. I believe the gospel and I have hope for eternal life. Yes. Yes, the gospel provides great comfort when we face death. But there's a whole life we live between the first door and the second door. If we forget the gospel is for now, for sins we struggle with today, for areas where we still want to grow, for relationships that are broken, then we miss the rich treasure that belongs to us in Christ. There's a treasure stored up in heaven for us. But God doesn't want it reserved just for eternity. It spills into our daily lives today if we just reach up our hands and receive it. That's what we're talking about with sanctification. Paul says, not that we are sufficient, 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. And Paul says, I can do all things, Philippians 4, 13, through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray.